You know, I don't watch a whole lot of news on TV. I kind of avoid news on TV, but I do try to keep up with what's going on in the world through, uh, you know, reading newspapers and online articles. I guess that way I can choose what I'm reading and what I'm hearing. And um, so that's where I get most of my news. And I'm sure that any of us who has paid attention to what is going on in the world and in the nation specifically has sensed an increasing hostility toward God, toward his followers, and toward their beliefs. And it's ironic, maybe, that we saw the video um, where other people were sharing how their beliefs were persecuted against and they were persecuted against. But it's amazing to me what, to what extent our society now is going to, to rid themselves of any trace of God, right? And most of it has been through legislation, and uh, they continue with the legislation, but it's not really all through legislation, is it? We get it through the media, we get it through science, and we get it in our schools as well. It's happening in the workplace. It's happening all over. And I believe that many Christians, whether they've been personally affected by what is going on or not, I believe that we're all beginning to feel a little bit of the pressure. And this kind of pressure can bring out the best in us as Christians, or it can bring out the worst in us as Christians. I was reading an online article recently about uh, how the military may court-martial any soldier who attempts to share their Christian faith. According to an article that appeared on uh, the site Breitbart.com, um, this move is being spearheaded by a man named Mikey Weinstein, who is the head of an organization called Military Religious Freedom Foundation. And the article describes how measures are being taken um, to make sharing your faith in the military a crime which could result in imprisonment, actual imprisonment. Incredible. And as is customary with many online articles, if you read online articles, you know that there's a place at the end, at the bottom of the page, where people can post comments, right? Uh, their reactions to what they had just read. And of course, there were many comments that were posted in favor of the measure. And you could actually really feel the bitterness and the hostility of the individuals who were posting these comments. I, it was almost palpable. You could feel it. But then there were posts by Christians as well. And I have to say that I was a little disappointed. They were obviously not posted in love, but with equal hostility. And you could sense a bit of defensiveness on the side of the Christians. Like I said previously, this kind of pressure can bring out the best in us as Christians, or it can bring out the worst in us. And I believe right now that many of us are responding in a, a variety of ways that are not necessarily biblical. Some are responding in kind with hostility, 
And I believe that others are kind of caving to the pressure. They may be either compromising their beliefs or simply abandoning their faith altogether. I saw one post on there that said, um, "You basically to the effect you Christians are nuts, I'm glad I got out when I did. It's the world we're living in right now. The way we respond as Christians is crucial to whether the rift in America will continue to get worse or whether God will be able to heal our land. It really is. Today we're going to read a passage of Scripture from the end of the book of Joshua. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, take, your, take them out and turn to Joshua 24, starting with verse 14. And this is one which we're very familiar with, one which uh, Pastor Paul actually referenced a couple of weeks ago. And to give you a little background on this, um, we pick up the story of Joshua at basically the end of his career as the political and spiritual leader of Israel. He has led them into the land that God was to give them and helped them win many military victories over, um, over a bunch of different people. You know, Joshua was a very successful leader in Israel, and this is kind of in the twilight of his career. And this actually, um, I would call maybe his final speech, if you will, uh, or his parting word to the people of Israel. And in verse 2, he indicates that this is indeed a word from God. This is not coming from his own mouth, but inspired by the spirits. Uh, he starts out in this section by um, briefly recounting Israel's history and, and highlighting um, God's mighty works on their behalf. And then Joshua charges the people of Israel. And I'm going to read that portion. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Joshua urged the Israelites to decide wholeheartedly who they would serve once and for all. You see, Israel was in kind of the same situation as the church in America is today. Um, Israel was considered God's people, and we are considered God's people now. But they were in a very similar situation. Now, I wanted to point out a couple things about this scripture. Joshua gives them a positive and a negative commandment, something they should do and something they should quit doing. The positive commandment, what should they do? Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Now, fear in this context doesn't mean uh, be afraid of God. What it means is to have reverence and awe for God. Remember, Joshua just got done recounting all these awesome and incredible and powerful things that God did for Israel. And so these things should inspire reverence and awe in them, as well as the things that God is doing today should inspire a little bit of reverence and awe in Him today in us. 
He's a powerful and a mighty God, and He displays that regularly. We should revere Him, and we should be in awe of Him. He's incredible. He's awesome, right? And then He gives a negative command of something they should stop doing. He says, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. He says, put away. He doesn't say... Don't be tempted in the future. He doesn't say, don't start serving these other gods. He says, put them away as if they're already doing it. That is why he charged them to serve God in sincerity and truth, as opposed to also serving other gods on the side. You see, the Israelites still called themselves Israelites. They still considered themselves God's people. Yet on the side, they were worshiping these other gods. So it seems like many of the Israelites had lived lives of compromise, serving both Yahweh and other gods. Whether it be the gods of their fathers served beyond the river, or the gods of their fathers served in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land they were living. Joshua mentions all of these gods as gods that, they, that some of them may have been serving at the time. But I believe today that many Christians now live lives of equal compromise. Claiming Jesus as Lord, but serving other gods. They speak as though God is in first place in their lives, but their trust, their time, and their true devotion lie elsewhere. We speak as though God has first place in our lives, but our trust is in other things. Our time is devoted to other things. And our devotion lies in other things. Things that I like to call American idols. One American idol is prosperity. Now, prosperity is good, but if the the pursuit of prosperity has overtaken your relationship with God as number one on your list, then you're worshiping prosperity instead of worshiping God. That's plain and simple. If you devote all your time, all your money, all your energy, all your thoughts to seeking prosperity then you're really worshiping prosperity and you're not worshiping God. Now, prosperity in itself is not a bad thing. We know that. But God blesses those who don't necessarily seek it because he knows that they're not going to compromise. He knows they can handle it, right? But I believe that um, the American dream has now become the Christian dream instead of the Christian dream becoming the American dream. Another American idol, happiness. You know, if you watch if you watch TV at all, everything, every commercial you see promises happiness, right? This is going to make you happy. That's going to make you happy. Everybody in commercials is smiling. Even in commercials for hemorrhoid cream, everybody's smiling, right? <laughs> hey, you're going to be happy. But it's gotten to the point where whatever makes you happy is top priority. 
You know, the world teaches us, the media teaches us, society teaches us that the pursuit of happiness is the highest pursuit in life. If you can just attain true happiness, you've reached the pinnacle of, of life on this earth. And whatever you have to do to get there, that's what you need to do. That's not what the Bible teaches, though. True happiness and tr true peace is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And all those other things are secondary. And I, I lump busyness in, in this category because we have gotten to the point where we think all sorts of activities and, and uh, functions are going to make us happy. And so we're busy all the time chasing happiness in, in sports and recreation. Again, those things in and of themselves are not bad, but when they overtake your devotion, your time spent with God, that's disproportional. And you're now worshiping happiness rather than worshiping God. Humanism is another one. Society wants us to believe that there is no God, that we're the ultimate being in the universe, right? That we are the highest um, form of life in this universe. And we decide what's true. And we decide what's right. And nobody else can tell you what's right or wrong. You get to decide for yourself. Another form of humanism, we like to shape God into our own image. Instead of worshiping the God of the Bible. Don't we? You ever hear that song uh, that goes, What if God was one of us? Well, God's not one of us. Sorry. But we like to make God into a God that we like, a God that's friendly to us, a God um, that we would like to worship instead of loving the God that is. We want a God that doesn't worry about all the things that we want to do, that actually encourages it. He has no standard. He wants us to do whatever we want. He just wants to bless us and make us happy and let us have fun. And whatever else we want to do, that's okay. Because Jesus is our homeboy, right? Universalism, that's another one, which basically means all roads lead to heaven. You know, we've gotten to the point in this uh, society where it doesn't matter what faith or what religion you are, because eventually they'll all go to heaven. We also, we also want to believe that God doesn't care what you do. He will let you into heaven no matter what, because God is a God of love. Well, that's one of God's attributes, but that's not God. We've become our own theologians. We like to read and, and delve into uh, different religions, different philosophies, different beliefs. And then we like to take little snippets from there and incorporate it into our own belief system if we like them. The last one that I want to mention is political correctness. We don't want to offend anybody. We just want to be popular. We want to be accepted. We just want to be one of the crowd. We want people to like us. 
And therefore, we're willing to do whatever the masses request of us in order to gain that acceptance. Not to harp on a, a specific point, but look at some of the de- denominations and how they're um, handling the issue of homosexuality in our, in our society. Many of them now are accepting ministers who are openly homosexual to minister in their denominations. I believe that the church in America is in trouble. We've compromised. We've allowed these things in. But what did Jesus say about serving two masters? Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Eventually you will choose one over the other. And unfortunately, there are so many Christians right now who are putting all their passion into serving one master and then work at the appearance of serving Jesus Christ. They do all the things on the surface that are right. I'll show up to church twice a month. Maybe I'll donate something. I'll talk Christianese and wear Christian t-shirts and listen to Christian music. But people that are not fully devoted to following Christ will eventually fall away when times get really tough and it's really hard to continue on serving Christ. That's the danger. That's the danger. So what did Joshua challenge the Israelites to do? We need to decide now what we're going to do. We need to decide now what we're going to do in case things get worse. In case this continues to snowball out of control. What are we going to do? What are we going to do if we face situations like those people in the video? What are we going to do? We can't decide then. We've got to decide now what we're going to do. Joshua challenged the people, choose for yourselves today who you will serve. He challenges them to make a choice. They were no longer to serve God and serve other gods on the side. They were to make up their minds. I like how one uh, author put it. He said, he wanted them to show singleness of heart. He wanted them to be honest with themselves and declare their allegiance. Declare their allegiance. Now, let me say this. Joshua did say, choose this day who you will serve, but he was not encouraging idolatry. I believe that he knew that those people would um, just cringe at the idea of actually leaving God and committing to another God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Pete was discussing marriage in his sermon. And he mentioned that the Bible, that in the Bible, the image of a marriage was repeatedly used to illustrate a relationship between God and his people, or or at least our relationship with God. And how we could learn uh, from our marriage relationship how to have a proper relationship with God. 
But I want to I want to expand on that a little bit as it relates to what we're talking about today. Because in today's world, our image of marriage isn't what it should be, right? As a pastor, I've had the opportunity to talk to uh, many couples who are considering getting married. I'd have to say in the majority of those situations, there was very little thought actually given to whether or not they were ready for marriage, number one, or any thought given to what kind of commitment marriage actually requires. The most common criteria used for deciding marriage was right for them was either, number one, their potential spouse made them so happy. I'm so happy. They make me happy. Or number two, that, that's just what I want to do. I want to get married. I, I, I just want to get married and that's what I want to do. But sadly to say, when that other person stopped making them happy or they no longer wanted to be married, they felt justified in either having an affair or getting a divorce. And I have to say, as a pastor, I've also had the opportunity to talk to many people who have prayed the sinner's prayer. I've had the pleasure of praying the sinner's prayer with many people. And I always have to caution people in those situations as well. Because in that, I mean, what did we feel like when we first got saved? It's, it's overwhelming. It's, a, it's such a joyful feeling. And you feel like the weight has been lifted off your shoulders. And so you're ready to commit. I'm going to serve Jesus. But most of the time when we do that, we're making our decision based on the same criteria. The initial sense of joy that was felt when, when God touched us for the first time. Or number two, the benefits or blessing that comes from serving God. But when our initial emotional high fades, our, the honeymoon phase goes away with God. Or God doesn't seem to be doing what we want or what we like. We look to other gods to give us what we want or to make us happy. You see, in today's world, when we make a commitment to something, it means we commit as long as we feel like being committed. That's what commitment is in today's world. But if we find something else that we feel we could benefit more from or would make us happier, then we feel justified in breaking that commitment. Right? Thirty or forty years ago, how long did people used to stay at the same job? Decades and decades, right? Twenty, thirty, forty years. I mean, now today, the average tenure at a job is two to three years. What about uh, consumer, uh, us being consumers of services? A bank. Used to be that you stayed with, you picked a bank and you stayed with that bank. Now, if they're not doing something that you like, or they charge you a fee, or uh, they did, weren't open on a certain day, late enough for you, well, I'm going to go find another bank. And we see this sometimes happening in marriage, too. Not all the time. But there's a very 
large portion of people who when they hit some bumps in the road and they're not happy with their marriage, feel justified in just flying the coop, going somewhere else, or finding somebody else. And sometimes people even do that with faith. It really baffles me um, to see people who decide what truth is and that God's word is truth and then turn their backs on that truth when it's not convenient to them. How can you decide something is true and then decide something is not true? But that's not the commitment that we're called to as believers, right? That is not the commitment God calls us to. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. That means give up all your priorities and what you want and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If you want to keep your old life, if you want to keep what you want to do, you're eventually going to lose it. And that means sometimes maybe in this world, but very certainly in the next. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So today I feel like God is urging us to do the same thing as he did through Joshua to the Israelites. Make up your mind to serve the Lord no matter what happens. Because it's not getting easier. And I believe we all sense that in our spirits. It's not getting easier. And it may get more difficult. And it may get more difficult still. Make up your mind today to serve the Lord no matter what. Then as you face persecution, you will not attempt to consider the cost and make up your mind then. Oh, this is getting too hard. I don't know. I, you know, maybe I should make up my mind. Because I can assure you that you will not feel like responding the way God wants in that moment. So we talked about the email and, and how the world is getting kind of hostile, at least our society is getting kind of hostile towards Christians. And I believe that it's natural for us as human beings to react in like kind. We react to hostility with hostility. That's our reflex. That's our, you know, that's our default setting. If we are in conflict with another, our natural reaction is to match emotion or tone with that other person. If that person is mad and we're calm, suddenly we're mad. If that person is irate and we're just angry, guess what? Our natural tendency is to elevate to the level of the other person. And, and I, I believe that also it's our natural response to be defensive when we feel like we're being attacked. That's our nature as human beings. But remember, I said it before, our response as Christians is going to be crucial in what happens in this nation. So how does Scripture say that we should respond? Well, it gives advice both corporately and personally. Corporately, what does it say? Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians because they were a church that was experiencing persecution. 
as a church, they were not handling the pressure well. And so in Philippians chapter 1, this is what Paul wrote in verses 27 and 28. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but of salvation to you, and that too from God. So I pulled two things out of here that Paul says. We are to stand firm in unity. He uses several phrases that key into that. He says, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. We're supposed to stand firm in unity as a body of Christ. Stand together. We're, we're in unity today. We're in unity right now. When we feel like the world is pressuring us, this is where we get recharged. This is where we get renewed amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, he says, we are in no way to be alarmed by our opponents. We are in no way to be alarmed by our opponents for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, because we know the God that we serve. We're on the winning side, right? It says that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We're on the winning side. We win. That's it. End of story. may not look like it sometimes right now, but we are on the winning side. So that's one reason not to be alarmed. And number two, it adds fuel to the fire. You know, when somebody's trying to intimidate you and you act intimidated, that gets them riled up all the more. That gives them courage. That gives them strength. When they see that we are being intimidated, when they see that Christians are compromising, when they see that Christians are falling away from the faith, when they see that we're getting angry and upset and, and uh, responding to hostility with hostility, they know, hey, we got you. We're on to something here. I'm going to keep pressing this button. Because it's working. Personally, we know this. Jesus spoke of how we should respond to hostility in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we all can say amen to that. But when we're in the midst of the situation, it's not that easy, is it? And if we're trying to make up our mind at that moment what we feel like doing, we may not do the right thing. That's why... God's challenging us, challenging us today. Make up our minds today what we're going to do, who we're going to serve. Because we're not supposed to respond to persecution or, or even physical harm in like kind. 
where we're supposed to show love and even pray for those who persecute us. And I'd be remiss without visiting this portion of the scripture on family day. Joshua says that we can not only decide for ourselves today, but decide for our house. He goes on to declare not only uh, who he would be serving, but also declares who his house would be serving as well. I'd like everybody to look around in here and, and see all the children and young adults in here. There is something we can do to choose who they will serve. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And his house is not even just talking about his physical house, but his household, his family, including his descendants. Because we can set a precedent in our own houses. You've heard, you've heard in Scripture, um, um, some authors may refer to the house of David. That's, Jesus was born in the house of David. Because he was a descendant of David. David said, As for, uh, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, I was talking before about uh, the comparison of our personal relationship with Christ and that of a marriage. And that, you know, in a marriage today, some people tend to bail when things get hard. Well, let me give you this uh, little piece of information that I found. According to a University of Utah researcher, uh, Nicholas Wolfinger, he says, Growing up in a divorced family greatly increases the chances of ending one's own marriage. A phenomenon called the divorce cycle or the intergenerational transmission of divorce. Now, I believe that translates directly to our relationship with God. If we want our children to serve God, we need to serve God. When I was pastoring in Oklahoma, I, we had a children's ministry. My wife did an awesome job with a children's ministry. But we had families who would drop off their children and then go back home. And they wondered why there was no change in their children. They came to me as the pastor and said, why aren't you, what's wrong with our children? Why aren't they changing? As if we were supposed to fix them. And I said, look, they see you. You know, I fear for my son. I fear the world that he's going to face when he's older. I fear that he may fall away from serving Christ. It's genuine fear that I have. But I know that if I want my son to serve the Lord in the future, when the world may be even more hostile toward Christians, he has to see me remain devoted and faithful to following Christ right now. Or it's not going to happen. Pastor Paul said it a couple weeks ago. Do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work in the family. We must be what we want our kids to be. Amen? In the current social climate, it's, it's really crucial that we make up our minds to follow Christ. We've got to decide now. We've got to make up our minds in our hearts right now what we're going to do. Are we going to serve Christ or are we not? Because 
when we face really tough times and we feel like running or we feel like fighting or we feel like giving up, that's not the time to decide because you will decide based upon what you feel. We need to decide now. We need to decide once and for all now instead of leaving the door open for debate later. And we need to decide for future generations. We need to make this decision now, and we can make this decision now. I found another um, story online that I wanted to share uh, in closing. Um, it's, it, it's a story about the daughter of a martyred uh, Iranian pastor. And it starts out by saying, though Christianity has been heavily oppressed in Iran since the 1979 revolution, the underground church movement continues to grow. Risking life and limb, many Iranian Christians do everything in their power to reach their country with the message of the gospel. That's incredible. And it tells the story about this young woman. It says, her father faced a chilling ultimatum that was given to him from Iran's uh, religious police. Close the house church that met in their basement and deny Christ or be killed. Well, he chose death. Now, Hussein's daughter, that was the, that was the pastor, Rasheen, was 13 at the time of his death. She says, it was very hard, very bad, she recalls. I loved my father very much. Since my mother is blind, she was very dependent on him. And Rasheen had become a Christian when she was seven years old after she too had a vivid dream about Jesus. She says, since then I followed Jesus and I knew I need to serve him. When my father was martyred, I decided to follow in his footsteps. Choose for your house today who you will serve. Stirred by his evangelistic zeal, and because there were very few Bibles available in Mashhad, she began to copy portions of Scripture and leave them in shops, in taxis, and gave them directly to people she felt she could trust. Rasheen even copied the entire book of John by hand over the course of a month and left it at a house where God directed her. Now she works with an organization uh, trying to reach the Iranian people for Christ. She made up her mind. Her father made up his mind who they would serve. And we need to do the same. Because like I said earlier, I believe that most of us can feel in our spirits that things are not improving at the present moment. But how we respond in this moment of crisis is going to be crucial. Is God going to be able to use the church or are we just going to be lost? It's up to us. And we have the opportunity today to make that decision. I just feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me even in this place there are people who need to make up their minds. That their heart is not made up yet. That their mind is not made up yet. That maybe God is speaking to you and you have been unknowingly serving another God. 
Maybe you didn't even realize it. But you've devoted all your time and attention to other things. You've put all your passion into other things and then call yourself a Christian. Today is the day that you need to decide who you will serve. Today is the day that you need to decide who you will serve. And I'm going to say today that as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And anybody who's with me may stand up right now and we're going to pray. Let's bow our heads and go before God. Heavenly Father, we believe that you are here today amongst your people. As we gather together in your name, you are here in our midst, O Lord God. And we stand together here and we say in our hearts that we will serve you. We are making up our minds right now. We're drawing, we're drawing a line in the carpet and we're, we're saying we're not going to cross that line. We're going to serve you, O Lord God, no matter what comes. God, right now I know that there's people out there that are feeling maybe a little convicted, maybe a little challenged in their hearts, O Lord God. And Lord, I pray that they would just humble themselves and maybe be a little truthful and say, you know what, I didn't realize it, but your Holy Spirit is telling me that I've been putting my passions, my time, my devotion into other things. And maybe other things have usurped you as the top priority on my list. But today, God, I want to make that choice. I want to say that you are going to replace the top thing. And you are the top thing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us the grace to react as you call us to react to in the Scripture, O oh Lord God. Standing together in unity, not being alarmed, re- replying and returning unkindness and hostility with love and with prayer. God, give us the grace. Give us the strength to do that. And God, I believe that when we do that, you will be able to use us to heal this land, to heal your church. Heavenly Father, today, we are saying today, as for us, as for our houses, we will serve the Lord. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll have a blessed day today.